Part three, chapters fourteen and fifteen of Bessie's Fortune by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fourteen. Telling Bessie. At last, Mrs. Geraldine was better and signified her willingness to let her sister-in-law return to her own home, from which she had been absent so long. She had received with a good deal of equanimity the news of her son's engagement with Bessie, whom she remembered as a lovely child, wholly unlike her mother if that woman were living i would never consent to the marriage she said but as it is i am willing though i had hoped that in your travels abroad you might have found some high-born english girl with a title but it is something to marry a niece of lady jane and i dare say miss macpherson will make the girl her heir so i will welcome her as my daughter and perhaps she will brighten up the house which is at times insufferably dull with your father growing more and more silent and gloomy every day i should not wonder if he were to become crazy like your grandfather gray did not reply to this or tell her that he could guess in part what it was which had made his father grow old so fast and blanched his hair to a snowy white unusual to one of his ears it was the secret hidden under the bedroom floor which had affected his whole life and affected it all the more because he had brooded over it in silence and never spoken to any one upon the subject once hannah had attempted to say something to him but he had repulsed her so fiercely that she never tried again and he did not guess what efforts gray had made to find the rightful heirs of joel rogers like his wife he did not object to gray's engagement bessie was a desirable parti as she would in all probability inherit her aunt's large fortune and he signified his approval and in all boston there was not a happier man than gray on the morning when with his aunt hannah he at last started for allington telling her when he bade her good-bye at the station that he should bring bessie to her early the following day it was a most lovely october morning when gray drove bessie through the rocky lane in the pasture-land up to the old house of which he had told her on christmas eve at stoneleigh almost two years ago and which seemed neither new nor strange to bessie so strong an impression had his description made upon her there she is that is aunt hannah gray said as a tall slender woman in a plain black dress came to the open door and stood waiting for them and i should have known her too what a sad face it is just as if there was a history hidden under it bessie said and gray replied as he lifted her from the phaeton there is a history hidden there and some time i will tell it to you then leading her to his aunt he said auntie i have brought you bessie yes hannah answered with a gasp as her cold hands were clasped by the soft warm ones of the young girl who looked up at her curiously wondering at her manner at sight of bessie hannah had been startled by the likeness to the picture hidden away so many years every feature of which was indelibly stamped upon her memory had that picture taken life and form and was it confronting her now it seemed so and for an instant she grew cold and faint and stood staring at the girl auntie won't you kiss bessie gray said and then the spell was broken and taking the girl in her arms hannah kissed and cried over her as a fond mother cries over the child which has been lost and is restored to her again hannah could not define to herself the feeling which took possession of her from the moment she saw bessie standing there in the low old-fashioned room with the october sunshine falling on her golden hair and lighting up her beautiful face still pale and worn from recent sickness it was as if an angel had come suddenly to her bringing the peace and rest she had never known since that awful night more than forty years ago and she felt all her olden horror rolling away as she watched bessie going over the house with gray 
now up the crooked stairs to the room under the roof where gray used to sleep when a boy and where there were still the remains of a horse and a boat which he had sailed in the big iron kettle by the well now down the cellar stairs to see the foundation of the big chimney which occupied the centre of the house and in which the swallows built their nests now out to the well where the bucket hung and then to the little bench where gray used to sit and kick the side of the house while the terror-stricken old man looked on trembling lest the boards should give way and show what was hidden there and it was there yet dust and ashes now but still there and bessie sat down alone beside it while gray shivered as his grandfather had done and drew her away as quickly as possible where does this lead to she asked laying her hand upon the door which was always closed that was grandfather's room no one goes in there gray said hurriedly as he put his arms around her and told her she had seen enough and must rest until after dinner he took her to the pleasant south room where the early dinner was served with the tiny silver teaspoons marked with the initials of hannah's mother and the bits of old china which modern fashion has made so choice and rare now and bessie enjoyed it with the keen relish of a returning appetite she had improved rapidly within the last week and declared herself as well and strong as ever when after dinner was over and the dishes cleared away she nestled down among the cushions of the chintz-covered lounge this is such a dear old place she said that i should like to stay here always people say there is a skeleton in every house but i am sure there can be none here everything seems so peaceful and quiet why did she make that remark of all others gray thought as with a face whiter even than that of his aunt hannah he sat down beside her and drawing her closely to him laid her golden head upon his shoulder bessie he said and his voice shook a little i am going to tell you something which perhaps i ought to have told you before i asked you to be my wife and which i should have told you had i thought the telling would make any difference in your love for me nothing can make any difference in that bessie said lifting up her sweet face to be kissed and then dropping her head again upon gray's arm just as hannah came in and took a seat on the other side of her hannah had been upstairs to her room where she now kept the box in which lay the picture which was so like bessie mcpherson more like her than i supposed she whispered as she gazed upon the face which seemed each moment to grow more and more like the young girl to whom gray was to tell the story he was only waiting for her to come in before he commenced she knew and putting the picture back in its place she went down to the south room and taking her seat beside bessie as gray motioned her to do waited for him to begin bessie he said and his arm tightened his clasp around her waist there is a skeleton here and it has darkened all my aunt hannah's life and thrown its shadow over me as well can you bear to have a little of it fall upon you too yes she answered fearlessly i have always lived with skeletons until i knew you loved me they cannot frighten me but darling would you love me as well think you if you knew that in a way there was a disgrace clinging my name he asked and bessie replied a disgrace what do you mean i cannot imagine you to be in disgrace but if you are i am quite ready to share it with you even if it be a murder gray spoke the last word in a whisper as if afraid the walls had ears but bessie heard him distinctly and with a great start she drew herself away from him and sat rigid as stone while she repeated murder oh gray you surely do not mean that no not exactly it was manslaughter done in self-defence gray answered her and with a sigh of relief bessie asked who was the killed and who the killer my grandfather did the deed in the heat of passion and the victim has lain under the floor of that room into which i would not let you enter for more than forty years 
now you know the skeleton there is in this old house yes bessie said while a look of terror and pain crept into her eyes but she did not move nearer either to gray or his aunt indeed it seemed to both that she drew herself into as small a compass as possible so that she might not touch them and her face was very white and still as gray commenced the story which he made as short as possible though he dwelt at length upon the life-long remorse of his grandfather and the heavy burden which his aunt hannah had carried for years at this part of the story bessie's face relaxed and one of the hands which had been clasped so tightly together at first went over to hannah's hand which it took and held until gray told of the lonely days and dreary nights passed by the young girl in the old horror-haunted house with no one but rover for her companion then the hand went up with a soft caressing motion to the face which gray had once said looked as if christ had laid his hands hard upon it and left their impress there it was pallid now as the face of a corpse and there were hard lines about the mouth which quivered with pain but at the touch of bessie's soft fingers the hardness relaxed and covering her eyes hannah burst into a paroxysm of weeping dear auntie bessie said my auntie because you are greys how you must have suffered and how i wish i could have come to you there would have been no terror here for me because you see it was not premeditated it was an accident not a crime and god i am sure forgave it long ago no gray and now she turned to him and winding her arms around his neck went on it is not a disgrace you ask me to share it is a misfortune a trouble and you think i would shrink from it in a moment i who have borne so much that was disgrace he knew she was thinking of her mother but he said nothing except to fold her in his arms and kiss her flushed eager face while she went on but who was this man where did he live and had he no friends to make inquiries for him gray remembered now that he had simply said the peddler without giving the name and he hastened to say he was joel rogers a welshman from carnarvon and it was for his sister elizabeth or her heirs that i was searching when i first came to stoneleigh oh gray and bessie sprang up almost as quickly as she had done when he spoke to her of the murder oh gray what if it should be my great-uncle whose grave is under the floor you once told me you were hunting for elizabeth rogers and i said i would ask anthony who knew everybody for fifty miles around and for a hundred years back but i forgot it until after father died when it came to me one day and i went to anthony and asked if he knew anyone in carnarvon or vicinity by the name of elizabeth rogers no he said i never knew elizabeth rogers but i knew your grandmother elizabeth baldwin before she was married and she had a half-brother joel rogers twenty years older than herself a queer roaming kind of chap who went off to america or australia or some such place and never came back again he was a good bit older than i am anthony said and would be over eighty if living now then i remembered that when i was a child i once heard my grandmother allen speak of a brother who she said went to the states when she was a girl and from whom she had not heard in many years he must have been very fond of her for she had several choice things he had given her and among them a picture of herself which she said was painted in london the only time she was ever there and which was very beautiful a picture did you say would you know one like it if you were to see it hannah asked in a constrained voice and bessie replied oh yes that portrait is still at stoneleigh for when grandma died six or seven years ago mother gave it to me and i hung it in my room it was like mother only prettier i think 
while bessie was speaking hannah had risen and going from the room soon returned bearing in her hand the box which for so many years she had secreted and which gray had not seen since he was a boy and hannah told him the sad story which had blighted her life he saw it now in his aunt's hands and shuddered as if it were a long-closed grave she was opening here is the watch she said with a strange calmness as she laid in bessie's lap the silver timepiece whose white face seemed to gray to assume a human shape and look knowingly up at him you see it stopped at half-past eight it has never been wound up since hannah continued pointing to the hour and minute hands without the slightest hesitancy bessie took the watch and examining it carefully said as she fitted the key attached to the old-fashioned fob to the keyhole do you think it would go if i were to wind it up then giving the key a turn or two she continued it does it ticks look gray and she held it to his ear but he started away from it as if it had been the heart-beat of the dead man himself and rising quickly began to pace up and down the room while bessie next took the picture to which she bore so striking a likeness it is grandmother it is she exclaimed he must have had two taken one for himself and one for her is she not lovely she is like you hannah replied and it was this resemblance which started me so when i first saw you this morning oh bessie my child your coming to me has cleared away all the clouds and i can make restitution at last for you are the rightful heir of the money i have saved so carefully heir of that and everything i do not think i understand you bessie said and then hannah handed her the will executed in wales about a year before joel rogers death and in which he gave all he had to his sister elizabeth and her heirs for ever still i do not quite see it explain it to me gray bessie said with a perplexed look on her face thus importuned gray sat down beside her and as well as he could explained everything and told her of the gold to which his aunt had added interest every year so that the heirs when found should have their own and of the shares in the slate quarries in wales dividends on which must have amounted to quite a fortune by this time and all of which was hers when she was proven to be the lawful heir of elizabeth baldwin sister of joel rogers yes i understand now she said with a quivering lip and the great tears rolling down her cheeks there is money for me somewhere but oh i wish it had come in father's lifetime we were so poor then but she added as a bright smile broke over her face i am glad for you gray that i shall not be a penniless bride did she not then appreciate the position or see the gulf which her relationship to the dead man had built between them if not he must tell her and rising again to his feet and standing over her gray began with a choking voice bessie you do not seem even to suspect that in the eyes of the world the fact that you are joel rogers grandniece ought to separate you from me don't you know that the blood of your kinsman is on my grandfather's hands and does that make no difference with you difference she repeated no why should it oh gray you are not going to give me up because of that i was not to blame and in bessie's voice there was such a pleading pathos that when she stretched her hands toward him gray took her in his arms feeling that all his doubts and fears were removed and that bessie might be his in spite of everything for a long time they talked together of the course to be pursued deciding finally that the matter should be kept to themselves until gray and bessie were married and with hannah had been to wales and proved the validity of bessie's claim to the effects of joel rogers there was no longer any talk of waiting until christmas eve for the marriage was to take place as soon as possible 
and when gray took bessie home to miss macpherson he startled that good woman with the announcement that he was to be married the last week in november and sail at once for europe taking his aunt hannah with him fifteen wedding bells they rang first for lord hardy and augusta brown who had intended to be married in october but whose wedding was deferred until the second week in november because as mrs rossiter brown expressed it gusty's bridal houses could not arrive in time from paris everything pertaining to the young lady's wardrobe was ordered either from london or paris and could mrs brown have done it she would have bought the arch of triumph and transporting it to allington would have set it up in front of her house and illuminated it for the occasion she should never have another daughter marry an irish lord she said and she meant to take a splurge and astonish the natives and she did she had a temporary ballroom built at one side of the house and lighted it with a thousand wax candles she had a brass band from springfield and a string band from worcester she had a caterer from boston whom with her usual happy form of expression she called a canterer she had coloured waiters in white gloves in such profusion that they stumbled over and against each other she had an awning stretched from the front door to the gate with yards and yards of carpeting under it she had not been abroad for nothing and she guessed she knew what was what she said to lord hardy when he hinted that a plainer wedding would suit him quite as well and that the money she was expending could be put to better purpose i guess we can stand it and still have a nice little sum for gusty she added and patting her future son-in-law upon the bag she bade him keep cool and let her run the machine after that lord hardy kept quiet though he was never so near a fever as during the week which preceded his nuptials for augusta herself he did not care at all as men are supposed to care for the girl they are about to marry he did not dislike her and he thought her rather pretty and ladylike with a far better education than his own but strangely enough in these last days of his bachelorhood he often found himself living over again those far-off times in monte carlo when as cousin sue from bangor he had laughed and talked and flirted with poor little daisy as he called her to himself now that she was dead and the grave had closed over all her faults and misdemeanours she had been the cause of his ruin and he had at times hated her for it but she had been jolly company for all that and he wondered what she would say if she could know that mrs rossiter brown was to be his mother-in-law and augusta lady hardy she would turn over in her coffin i do believe he thought and then he wondered how much augusta's wedding portion would be and how far it would go toward restoring his irish home to something like its former condition but on this point pere brown maintained a rigid silence and he was obliged to be content with the hints which mere brown dropped from time to time she had made minute inquiries with regard to hardy manor her daughter's future home and at her request he had made a drawing of it so that she knew just how many rooms there were and how they were furnished i shall hiss them feather beds out double quick she said and them high four posters with tops like a buggy i'd as soon sleep in a hearse and i shall put in some brass bedsteads and hair mattresses and maybe i shall furnish gusty's room with willer work i'll show em what uncle sam can do was she then going with him to hardy manor and must he present her to his aristocratic friends as the mother of his bride the very possibility of such a calamity made the perspiration ooze from the tips of lord hardy's fingers to the roots of his hair and once he contemplated running away and taking the first ship which sailed for liverpool but when he remembered his debts he concluded to swallow everything even the mother-in-law if necessary 
he was to sail the last week in november and as when he engaged his state-room nothing had been said about a second one for mrs brown he comforted himself with the hope that she did not meditate going with him she would perhaps come in the spring by which time he might be glad for the brass bedsteads and hair mattresses which abounded at the ridge house and which were really more in accordance with his luxurious taste than the feather beds and high four posters which had done duty at hardy manor for more years than he could remember over four hundred invitations were given to the wedding as mrs brown said she didn't mean to make nobody mad but she did offend more people than if her party had been more select for when mrs peter stokes the truckman's wife heard that her next-door neighbour mrs asa noakes the hackman's wife had received an invitation and she had not her indignation knew no bounds and she wondered who miss ike brown thought she was and if she had forgotten that she once went out to work like any other hired girl and when susan slocum whose mother took in washing heard that her friend lucy smith who worked in the mill was invited and she was not she persuaded her mother to roll up the four dozen pieces which had been sent from the ridge to be washed and returned them with the message that if she wa'n't good enough to go to the wedding she wa'n't good enough to wash the weddin finery this so disturbed poor mrs brown who really wished to please everybody that but for the interference of allen and augusta she would have gone immediately to the offended washerwoman with an apology and an earliest request to be present at the wedding don't for pity's sake ask any more of the scum allen said adding that if she had not invited any of them no one would have been slighted well i don't know mrs brown rejoined with a sigh i can't quite forget when i was scum myself and knew how it felt on the whole however everything went smoothly and the grand affair came off one november night when the air was as soft and balmy as in early summer and the full moon was sailing through a cloudless sky as carriage after carriage made its way to the brilliantly lighted house through the dense crowd of curious people which filled the road in front and even stretched to the left along the garden fence all the factory hands were there and all the boys in town with most of the young girls and many of the women whose rank in life was in what allen called the scum forgetting that but for his father's money he might have been there too there were four bridesmaids in all and their dresses and trains were something wonderful to behold as they swept down the stairs and through the long drawing-room to the bay window where amid a wilderness of roses and azaleas and lilies they were to stand this was the part the most distasteful to lord hardy who would greatly have preferred being married in church according to the english form and in fact augusta would have liked that too but mrs brown was a staunch baptist and opposed any deviation from the good old rule and so lord hardy was compelled to submit though his face wore the look of anything but a happy man as he went through the ordeal which made him augusta's husband and then received the congratulations of the guests most of whom addressed the bride as lady hardy when augusta heard of bessie's engagement with gray she went at once to congratulate her and insisted upon her being one of her bridesmaids but bessie declined she was too much a stranger to take so conspicuous a place she said and would rather be a quiet looker-on but she was there with gray to whose arm she clung as she looked wonderingly on at the gorgeous display unlike anything which was ever seen in allington before or ever would be again altogether it was a most brilliant and successful affair and the reporters who had been hired to be present did it ample justice in the next day's papers festivities in high life 
headed the column in which the beauty and accomplishments of the bride were dwelt upon at large while free scope was given to the imagination and the pen when it came to the elegant manners of the hostess the air of refinement and cultivation perceptible among the guests and the signs of wealth and perfect taste everywhere visible the great popularity of the family was also dwelt upon as proven by the immense crowd thronging the streets and lord hardy was congratulated upon his rare good luck and hints were thrown out that england and ireland ought to feel complimented that so many of america's fair daughters were willing to wear a foreign title and grace a foreign home what fools those reporters are to be sure and the browns are bigger fools to allow such stuff to be printed was miss macpherson's comment upon the articles which appeared in the spy and the gazette and the springfield republican and her opinion was pretty generally shared by the citizens of allington who immediately raked up the ashes of the browns past history and recalled with great zest the times when mrs brown had worked in the kitchen at gray's park while poor mr brown was charged with every possible second-class occupation from mending brass kettles down to peddling clothespins fortunately however mrs brown was in happy ignorance of all this she only knew that she had killed a bear as she expressed it and that she had been described as an elegant and accomplished lady who led the ton in allington i guess i've whipped em all though i'll wait and see what miss macpherson does she said but miss macpherson did nothing it was the wish of both bessie and gray that the wedding should be as quiet as possible any one was free to go to the church where the ceremony took place one morning the last week in november and which was filled with plain respectable people but only hannah and lucy gray mr and mrs burton gerald and the clergyman mr sanford went to the house where the wedding breakfast was served and where miss betsy broke down more than once as she thought how soon she had lost the girl whom she had learned to love so much gray and bessie were going to new york that afternoon for they were to sail the next day and hannah was going with them no good reason had been assigned for this sudden trip across the ocean at this season of the year and only mr sanford knew why it was taken hannah had told him everything and while he expressed his pleasure that the long search and waiting had at last been rewarded in so satisfactory a manner he added sadly i hope you will not stay there long i shall be very lonely without you hannah it was the first time he had given her the pet name of old since martha had been laid to rest in the churchyard and as a penance for doing so he went the same day to martha's grave and stood there at least fifteen minutes with the november rain falling upon him until his clothes were nearly wet through poor martha he sighed as he turned away she would be fidgeted to death if she knew how wet i am i guess i had better drink some boneset when i get home i believe that is what she used to give me he went with the party to new york and so did miss gray and miss macpherson and the loungers at the allington station made some joking remarks about one widower going off with three old maids but each of the old maids knew her business and cared little what the rabble said the browns too were in new york with lord and lady hardy who sailed in the same ship with gray and bessie just how much augusta's wedding portion was was never known but that it was satisfactory was proven by the felicitous expression of lord hardy's face which beamed with delight as he said good-bye to his mother-in-law whom he kissed in the exuberance of his joy but his countenance fell a little when he heard her tell augusta not to be so down in the mouth for she would be over there herself early in the spring in time to see to house-cleaning the day was bright and warm as the days in indian summer often are and the macpherson party stood upon the wharf waving their good-byes as long as gray and bessie were discernible among the passengers 
then they returned to their hotel and miss betsy sent the following cablegram to neil in london bessie was married yesterday to gray gerald and sails to-day for liverpool End of chapters 14 and 15